Welcome back, everyone, and Happy New Year. Happy 2022. We're recording it on the 31st, so we aren't, we aren't there yet, but happy 2022 to future Cass and Bennett when you listen to this. But in the meantime, how are you doing today, BT? I'm doing well. How are you, Cass? I'm hanging in there. We're doing a topic that I have to admit I'm a bit ignorant on. I guess I just have avoided the topic for a long time. It's not that I don't tend to agree with everyone on it. It's just that I prefer to not think about it. But <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be talking about Craig Stephen Wright, the lawyer, doctor, and ninja. And I, I really, I have to say, I know very, very little. So um, Bennett, I, right out the gate, what do you want to start with? How do you want to start this? Oh, yeah. So we've both avoided going too deep into CSW over the last couple of years because it's a mess. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, I think we should avoid the F word in this podcast. And by the F word, I, of course, don't mean, f but I mean, um, I'm just going to not say it anyway. Go yeah, ahead. I, I'm planning on avoiding that word, too. It rhymes with prod. <laughs> it rhymes with prod, if that if that helps anybody. But anyway, so CSW was a cybersecurity entrepreneur who got into some trouble with the Australian tax office because he was trying to claim multi-million dollar refunds related to research and development his companies were supposedly doing. During the process of the ATO's investigation into these refunds, he started claiming to control in excess of 1 million bitcoins. And he seemed to be laying the groundwork for the future claim he'd make. This is like back in 2013. Laying the groundwork for the future claim he would make that he is, or at least he is a part of, Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. And he's convinced many people of this, in the, at least in the past. I don't know how many people believe that now. I know some billionaires do, but... Um, <laughs> At least one Antiguan billionaire. Yeah, I'd love to delve into how that relationship got started, but we'll get there later. We, we will. That's that's kind of where the the public claims of being Satoshi really come in. So 2013, he starts claiming to the Australian tax office that he controls a bunch of these Bitcoin addresses with in excess of 1 million Bitcoin, which is the number that's often bandied about as the amount that Satoshi Nakamoto did based on initially some research that Sergio Demian Lerner did and posted on Bitcoin Talk and then later work that identified like the Potoshi miner. That all put Satoshi's holdings at likely in excess of 1 million bitcoins. So Craig starts claiming he has that same amount. Unfortunately, he claims this like specific list of uh, Bitcoin addresses. And one of those addresses that begins with 16 COU decides to sign a cryptographic message saying address 16 COU dot yada, 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 yada does not belong to Satoshi or to Craig Wright. Craig is a liar and a fraud. One of the other addresses he claims during this area is one that begins with 1FeeXVX, which is famously one of the Mt. Gox hacker addresses where they parked tens of thousands of Bitcoin. And so Craig is claiming to the Australian tax office he has as many Bitcoins as Satoshi did. Unfortunately, the addresses he's claiming to control look like addresses he does not necessarily control. At this point, he's never publicly or even, as far as we can tell, privately claimed to be Satoshi. However, he starts testing out that claim in February of 2014 when he emails the mother of his deceased friend, Dave Kleeman, to tell her 
that he and Dave, in combination with a third person, were the famous Satoshi Nakamoto who created Bitcoin and asked the grieving mother to go through Dave's computer to try to find his wallet.dat file, so his Bitcoin wallet file, and save it for Dave, and save it for Craig. He still has never publicly claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto, but this is where he starts trying to uh, claim at least in private to people that it is. And we're about a year out from when he really starts to engage with Calvin Air and some of the other people who helped bail him out. So he continues with the Australian tax office, begins to make a claim that when he was Satoshi, he was actually holding all of his Bitcoin in a trust that was maybe in Panama, maybe in the Seychelles, maybe in a bunch of other places. He could never really keep it straight. And the Australian tax office doesn't believe this trust actually exists. But eventually is part of the case. He submits a list of the holdings of this supposed Bitcoin trust that holds all the Satoshi Bitcoins, right? And then shortly after that, 146 addresses on the list cryptographically sign a message saying, Craig Stephen Wright is a liar and fraud. He does not have the keys used to sign this message. The Lightning Network is a significant achievement. However, we need to continue work on improving on-chain capacity. Unfortunately, the solution is not just to change a constant in the code or to allow par powerful participants to force out others. We are all Satoshi. So it seems, again, Craig was lying about the Bitcoins he controlled. Also, in 2014, during this period, one of Craig's companies goes into bankruptcy, Hotwire. One of his research companies and a bunch of other companies are having issues because the Australian tax office has started holding the refunds he needs for the operations of these companies, right? Luckily, Craig claims that he has a whole bunch of valuable intellectual property and stuff related to blockchains, Bitcoin, and all this uh, useful future tech that tons of people would be interested in. And this is where we bring in your favorite p Calvin Air. The Antiguan billionaire decides to uh, enter into a, an agreement through Stephen Matthews and uh, McGregor to basically bail out Craig. Craig gets a much-needed infusion of, ca of cash with a total value of about $15 million if you break out all the individual pieces. And in exchange, uh, Encrypt, which would later become Enchain, holds Craig's valuable, quote-unquote, intellectual property, and they gain the rights to the life story of Satoshi Nakamoto. Just, I, I think it's, um, I just want to pause for a second here, because while I don't know much about uh, Craig, I do know a little bit about Calvin because Calvin Calvin has really played a role in Bitcoin before Bitcoin essentially. Now I, I know that seems like a weird thing to say, but the fact that he was involved in online poker and online gambling before before Bitcoin was around, before Bitcoin existed, and got sued by the US government. Got indicted. Got indicted, but then won and got off. Got it down to a misdemeanor charge that he pled guilty to, yeah. Right, which is as good as winning against charges like that. Uh, so he was kind of revered after that. I mean, he, not only had he already accrued a ton of money, but he fought the federal government and more or less beat them. You're right. There's a lot of other issues with him. And I think a lot of people write him off in terms of what he knows about cryptocurrency because of his CSW association. Um, and that's probably fair but he he's like being a billionaire and being involved with crypto for so long i and involved in speculation before cryptocurrency online 
It does have some sort of resonance, I would suggest. Did you know Calvin got in trouble for insider trading up in Canada early in his career? Mm, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So before he was like this online gambling magnate and got indicted for all of that, he was an insider trader in the uh, Canadian securities world. And so, yeah, he's got this complicated past. He, at this point, has uh, moved to Antigua, as you mentioned, has basically evaded the United States federal government in their pursuit of him as this like online gambling magnate and is looking for an investment. And so he, through his proxies, decides to invest in uh, CSW to get access to this supposedly incredibly valuable intellectual property, and perhaps most importantly, the story rights. The team, now around Craig, brings in Andrew O'Hagan to help write the life story and to publish this, right? And so he starts following around Craig and detailing this period where they're getting ready for the public reveal of Craig Stephen Wright as Satoshi Nakamoto. And this is where things start to get um, messy. So Andrew, the journalist, described the goal of the team around Craig as basically purchasing his intellectual property, outing him as Satoshi Nakamoto, and then selling that intellectual property for a massive multiple of what they paid for it, because now it's the intellectual work of Satoshi Nakamoto, right? And so there's like now this financial reason why it's important for Craig to be Satoshi. In October and November of 2015, there's this email that starts going around to a bunch of different journalistic outlets with a bunch of transcripts and documents from the Australian tax organization's investigation into Craig and a bunch of other random files meant to convince these outlets that Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. Nathaniel Popper, then at the New York Times, describes getting it and said it didn't seem authentic to him, so he didn't bite on it. But Wired and Gizmodo do. And they publish these articles based on the documents they received in these emails claiming that Craig Stephen Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. Shortly after, both outlets end up retracting these articles because they realize when the public starts to see these documents that they're sharing that there are issues and that uh, it's being made to seem a certain way, but it's not necessarily that way. And so the team around Craig starts doing a bunch of private signings for people to convince them that he is actually Satoshi Nakamoto. They do one for Andrew, one for John Matonis, another uh, Bitcoin guy who joins Enchain. And then the most famous one, the one I'm sure you might remember is when he signs for Gavin, Gavin Andresen, the like lead developer for Bitcoin at that time. And that's probably the signing that's convinced the most people that Craig is Satoshi, right? Because Gavin was seen as this very serious developer with an expert in cryptography who would be able to suss out any tricks. With these first couple articles now being retracted, the team around Craig has decided to do this series of public signing or private signings for these individuals, have John and Gavin release blog posts simultaneously with GQ, BBC, and The Economist, who were brought in to document and write about these, all under embargo until the same date, May 2nd, right? So Craig does these signings for these individuals in private. These journalists write these articles, and Craig and all of them publish these articles on May 2nd, revealing to the world that Craig Stephen Wright is Satoshi. But what happens? Well... A lot of things happen. First, it's realized that the article Craig posted with like this weird lesson on cryptography with several mistakes in it includes a uh, 
signature that was supposed to be a public signing from the Block 9 Coinbase address proving Craig was Satoshi. What it was instead was a copy and pasted signature from an old Bitcoin transaction. This leads Gavin to start emailing Craig and saying like, what happened with this? I can't stop thinking about ways you might have bamboozled me. And Craig says, don't worry, I will. Uh, I posted the wrong version. That was just meant as like lorem ipsum text. I'll be updating with a new signed version with a new public signature from this address soon. Of course, that never goes up. And to clarify, because he can't. That's my suggestion. <laughs> I see no evidence that Craig actually controls those private keys. What's the reason that he gives that he hasn't done that? Um, his, his publicly stated reason now is that he won't do things that he doesn't want to. He won't be forced to reveal his identity. And uh, him or someone on his team shortly after this debacle leak an article that ends up making it to a Bitcoinist that basically says uh, creator of Bitcoin can't sign would be liable for all these uh, anti-terrorist things because of all the people who use Bitcoin. So he refuses to sign. It's a moral thing. If he reveals himself, he'll be sent to prison, right? Becomes Craig's basic public claim at this point. Is there truth to that? I mean, Craig himself wrote the article. <laughs> I I don't think there's any truth to it. And even concurrent with like that article coming out, Craig's team is working with this deal between John Gavin and the BBC, where John Gavin and the BBC will each send a small amount of Bitcoin to the Block 9 Coinbase address. And then Craig will quickly send it back, proving he has control of those keys and can sign transactions for it, right? So the BBC, John and Gavin all send a few bucks worth of Bitcoin to this address, wait to get it back and of course never do and this is why it gets into why it's important that craig always signs in private right because the entire point of like public private key cryptography like this is that you can do it in public revealing your public key revealing a signature does not reveal your private keys and so the fact that he always does it in private is suspicious and there's a lot of ways to fake a signing in private and so while i was kind of researching craig stephen right i figured out how thanks to some work Zectro1 and other people have done online, how to fake a Block9 Coinbase address signature signing. And so like the process is basically you take an address you do control, you sign a message, and then you make a two-line change to the code of the wallet so that when it sees now the uh, Block9 Coinbase address, it thinks it should be actually verifying for the address you do control. So you create this signature from an address you do control. You move over to the computer with the two-line change to the software, put in the address that people are expecting to see, put in the signature that you just signed with those keys, and it looks like when you run the check, the signature verifies. This gets into a little bit deep into some of the details, but like when uh, Gavin and Craig were doing the verification, Craig signs it on his computer, does the verification on his computer, and Gavin says, okay, let's move the signature over to my computer. We'll verify it there. I just want want to make sure it's okay and at this point craig people in the room describe him as like losing his shit. so finally they come to the agreement that they will uh send craig's assistant out to go get a brand new computer they bring the computer back and it then takes them several hours to get it set up for this signing which is confusing because this process should take a couple of minutes and then finally they're able to verify it on this new computer but it doesn't seem like that version of Electrum they installed, the wallet, was verified by Gavin. They had plenty of time to modify it. Took me only a few minutes to get it set up with my modified version of Electrum on my computer. And they then verify this signing. 
Craig promises to sign in public, then on May 2nd, doesn't. Craig promises to move these coins like the day after that, doesn't. And since then, has never publicly signed, publicly moved coins, or done anything like that. And to be clear, no coins that are supposed to be Satoshi Nakamoto's have been moved. No. Like ever since, well, ever, right? Yeah, never any coins that were definitively Satoshi. There's some that uh, intersect with the Patoshi miner identified, I want to say first by BitMEX later on, but some of the later work by like Whale Alert suggests that those were just other miners who happen to coincidentally intersect with the pattern. So yeah, there's no evidence that any Satoshi coins have moved since he left in 2010. Oh, wait, and I forgot one of the best parts. So when they're doing all these private signings for the journalists. GQ brings along a uh, university lecturer on cryptology to help verify the signing, right? Because their journalist doesn't know how to verify a cryptographic signing, let's be honest. And Craig loses his and starts yelling at the professor of cryptology and eventually kicks him out and refuses to do the signing in front of the expert which is, you know, just a totally normal, rational response for someone to have in this situation. And I'm going to guess that the, again, the reason for that being not in his defense, but in the in what I would assume his defense would be, is that it's someone he's not familiar with in the room and something could be given away yeah, or something. Yeah, his public reason was basically that this person's an idiot and he didn't want an idiot there during the signing. I would contend that there's been an idiot present at all of Craig's signings. But right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, look, I know I know that he is a divisive figure in the space and I know that he is reviled by most individuals here. And that's cool. There's a lot of executives and stuff that I have zero respect for. I'm just trying to take a look at this in a way that I can that I can understand it from someone who hasn't spent much time on it and so that our listeners don't think that it's I mean it's we're obviously you're going to be a bit biased but I think it's important to kind of like try to extrapolate on what I mean there's got to be a few thousand people that are in the BSV community maybe I, I think I've heard that's that there's a nice chunk of them that are very anti CSW, but there's also a large chunk that aren't and are totally into what he says and believe him. And I'm just trying to understand how someone could and why, because from what I'm hearing so far, without calling anyone names, it sounds like a lot of obfuscation and a lot of purposeful illusion. And while I think that is good for magicians and good for manipulative people who want to make money on people who can be easily fooled, which is anyone, by the way. I mean, we're all capable of being fooled. So I've been fooled plenty of times. I'm not trying to suggest it's just some idiot. Um, Clearly, he's got a billionaire on his side. Why? Help me understand why. Like, what are the what are the rational, logical reasons here? Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I were both bamboozled in the past by someone claiming to know the identity of Satoshi. Yes. Like, this is this is a thing that people can be pretty convincing on. Yeah, but I... So, we're rational. When that gets exposed from someone we trusted at some point, we go, oh, gosh, wow, that was silly. We shouldn't have trusted that person. So, I'm wondering why, after seeing all of this stuff that you're talking about, after having all these failed signings, after having these strange and so does by the way so dave Kleiman 
you had a little tangent there at the beginning where yeah. CSW reached out to Kleiman's um, mother. Mm-hmm. And I know there was an ongoing lawsuit yeah. with the Kleiman estate. So is Kleiman involved? Like, there, are there people that believe Kleiman is involved as Satoshi? There are a small minority. They're pretty closely related to the people who think CSW is Satoshi. And where does that come from? The apparent source seems to be that Craig needed to explain to the Australian tax office where this IP, this expensive IP that he was entering into all these transactions were. And so he revived a company called uh, W&K, right, in Kleiman, that they had created several years before to try to pitch for a few DHS contracts that they never received. So he revives this company and claims they hold a bunch of this, like, valuable Bitcoin IP and entered into these transactions with his other Australian companies. So in order to justify that, basically, to the Australian tax office, he creates, I'm not going to say he creates, he starts sharing this story that he and Dave, together with uh, Dr. Riaz, were Satoshi Nakamoto and had created Bitcoin. Dr. Riaz, is Dr. Riaz alive? No, also dead. Craig makes sure to pick dead people who helped him with. That's a good, that's, yeah, that's beneficial to a story when the other people involved are since deceased i guess the other i guess the main person that most people believe to be satoshi nakamoto at this point uh seems to be hal finney right that's my preferred guess you hear people claim adam back and i hope it's not him (laughs) you hear people claim nick sazabo and i hope it's not him (laughs) i know a lot of people respect him for his work and that's cool i'm not going to try to take away from that but the things uh, he says are pretty awful (laughs) I'm blocked by him, um, and yeah, it's because I think he's racist uh, and sexist, and I I don't use those terms lightly. Um, I think he hits those hard. That wouldn't bother me as much as if Back was, because if Back was, uh, it would just be so strange for the person who created Bitcoin to be endorsing a centralized derivative of the U.S. dollar. So he also has never claimed it publicly. Like Back says that he's not. So I like, and, and so does Sazabo, and, and like so did Finney. None of these people publicly wanted to be Satoshi Nakamoto, which again is consistent with what we know about Satoshi Nakamoto. Like uh, Whale Alerts analysis suggested, they're mining early on. What seemed to be basically, they had the majority of hash power, but they basically never moved most of the coins they mined. And and like as other miners came on, deliberately like reduced their hash power. And so they were doing it early on to basically keep the network stable and then stopped when the network was more stable. They made a few transactions with the coins they mined early on to help basically get Bitcoins distributed. And then once they and left- And liquidity, right? Build liquidity yeah, for- And once they left, yeah. never transacted with any of them again. It seems that Satoshi Nakamoto intended this to be a largely like more altruistic project. Like they believed this thing should exist and so took steps to make it exist. I, I know we're this is a CSW episode, but still, if anyone is interested, my favorite nominee for Satoshi Nakamoto, and this is not because it's likely, it's just because it's the most fun candidate, I think, is Paul LaRue. And and if you haven't heard of Paul LaRue, his story is just astounding. Um, really, really amazing, wild story that he he lived. And he's currently in prison doing, I think, a, I don't know if it's a life sentence, something like a life sentence. He tried to get paroled semi-recently. I think it might have been two years ago, a year ago. Uh, he tried to get paroled and um, said that he was going to start up a 
cryptocurrency business. So they were like, no. <laughs> um, which, Your yeah, flight so, risks, yeah. sir. <laughs> it's funny because he's brilliant, but also not the brightest bulb. Um, and he does meet like a lot of the characteristics of what I would think a Satoshi Nakamoto would be like right like he was doing he makes so much more sense to me than csw he seems to be a better c plus plus programmer have more experience with cryptography with his work on like true crypt and had a serious motivation during that period exactly and because of true crypt because of that like trying to give away this third party encryption software to the public for the public good and doing it for free and being like, I just want to get some donations. And people were like, well, I'll take your software, but f you. It seemed to really disillusion the dude. And I could see that quickly turning into like libertarian wet dreamland. But let's get back to the look. I, like, let's, let's, let's finish this episode off. I, I'm not hearing a lot of reasons that suggest CSW could be Satoshi. Now, I know a lot of people spun because the, the, he owes he owes the climate estate money now is that what what happened because of the recent lawsuit so I, is that people also there making the claim that therefore he is satoshi nakamoto oh that's not my understanding of the case obviously the traditional caveat that i'm not a lawyer but he seemed to have been found guilty of conversion because he claimed to have this bunch of valuable intellectual property and stuff and dave's estate wasn't given their fair share of it at no point during that case did they directly answer the question as to whether or not the jury the judge or anyone else thought CSW was Satoshi Nakamoto. So I think people who are spinning it that way are... Well, and this gets into why do people still believe CSW is Satoshi, is I think once you've committed to a certain amount of willingness to believe certain things, it becomes easier to believe other things. And so if you've seen the Gavin signing and seen this prominent Bitcoin developer publish this blog post saying, I believe Craig Stephen Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto, and you start to believe that, and then basically, once you've started to believe, it's easier to keep believing than to leave that system of beliefs, right? And so... And Gavin has disassociated from him as well. He's never fully recanted, though. And even like when he was called on to testify in the Kleiman case, he still at that point was like saying, uh, I think it's more likely than not that Craig controlled those private keys. Even Gavin himself seems to have not fully dissociated from that belief. This also gets into why Bitcoin Satoshi's vision began. So let's just quickly delve into that. And then I think that's like, let's try to drop this topic forever. Um, but <laughs> I know that he and the people who believed him in him at the time helped create Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, Bitcoin SV for short. Mm -hmm. And I know that it was a, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, uh, a fork of Bitcoin Cash. It was. So what happened? What led to that? Why is CSW and why is Calvin Air, why are they seen as these kind of figureheads. Yeah, so Roger Ver seems to have been one of the people convinced that Craig Stephen Wright was Satoshi Nakamoto. 
And so Roger Ver gave Craig a loan. I think about $2 million is what people think the loan was for, based on the fact that Craig controlled all the Satoshi Bitcoins. And they were working together at this point on Bitcoin Cash, the large block fork off of uh, Bitcoin during the scaling wars. Eventually, Roger Ver stops believing Craig. And this is when uh, Craig and Kelvin make this publicly decide to fork away from Bitcoin Cash, ABC, and instead start Bitcoin Cash, Satoshi's vision. Later, just Bitcoin, Satoshi's vision. And it wasn't Bitcoin Cash, ABC then, right? Because there was only one Bitcoin Cash at that, yeah, that point. That, that was the uh, client who was making certain de design decisions that Craig disagreed with. And that was like ah. the leading implementation. That was like the reference client, like how Bitcoin has core. And so they decide to fork away with Craig sending this email to Roger, like, I'm going to make your coin trade at zero. There'll be no transactions on any chain. I won't have replay protection. We're going to have so much hash rate that no one will be able to transact on BCH for years. Are you ready for war? And then, of course, basically none of this happened because Craig lies a lot. But what did happen? They fork away. They pretty quickly add replay protection because they end up with less hash rate and they start their own chain, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, in which they've now added a bunch of new opcodes and it's become this low price, low market cap, low hash rate Bitcoin fork whose goal seems to be to attract enterprises to store a bunch of data in their blockchain. And it's the, 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 the main miner behind it is a Kelvin-funded business that has well over 50% of the hash rate. There's like a total of three dozen full nodes left running for BSV. It's a uh, apocalyptic chain where the only activity is people spamming it to make it bigger and bigger day by day. But they need to find a way to monetize the IP somehow, right? And so this is where you get into like what I expect the next phase of Craig's lawsuits to be, which is going to be a bunch of patent trolling. And so the first phase of Craig's lawsuits is suing anyone who calls him the word that rhymes with prod. <laughs> and so that's uh, Peter McCormick and Holdenot, and uh, he sued Cobra the Bitcoin.org operator for hosting the Bitcoin white paper with his claim being that all these lawsuits will prove that he's Satoshi Nakamoto since, you know, he hasn't signed or moved any coins or something. The courts will prove it. And so I expect the next phase will be if they get anything that even vaguely resembles a success in one of those cases is to start taking all the patents they filed for. Haven't they already won? No. They, didn't Cobra settle? Didn't Cobra oh, take it Cobra down? Cobra accepted a default judgment because it would have required them uh, exposing their identity. And Cobra didn't want to do that. And so they ended up having to pay like 35 grand and post a statement on the Bitcoin.org website for six months or something. But yeah, uh, he has not won against Peter or Holdenut. And then Copa, this group of a bunch of other Bitcoin companies, formed this alliance to sue Craig for claiming that he was the copyright holder of the Bitcoin white paper. But I anticipate that if he wins one of these cases or gets something that vaguely resembles a win, they will end Shane and him will start taking all the mostly meaningless patents they've filed and start suing anyone who they think is even kind of in breach of it. And that will be how they try to monetize their IP now. But part of the reason why I think it's important to talk about him is because he is trying to use the legal system in this way. 
And I think just in general, individuals who try to sue critics as a way to silence criticism is reprehensible and seems so counter to the writings and beliefs that Satoshi Nakamoto expressed that it's uh, shocking to see from someone who claims that identity. Yeah, I mean, it's con- it's confusing to me that it's just confusing to me that so many people believe it when there seems to be so little substance there. Well, uh, just on that note, do you know how uh, like Nigerian print scams work and why they're worded so badly? Why they make so yeah. many mistakes in the emails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so that they, that anyone who's intelligent enough to pick up on it already is not going to waste their time and and try to call. Yeah, and, and so I think a lot of a lot of things in cryptocurrency end up using the same kind of technique. You make your claims bold enough. You make your claims dumb enough. You filter out the people who are going to be a problem in the future. Um. Okay. Well. Uh, on that note, I guess that's it. God, releasing this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah, rough way to start the new year, but hey. A-